You have reached Minions and Musings. Please hold. Your call is important to us. Back with another one of those block rockin' beats. Hey, it's Evil Jeff back behind the mic once again. Volume 2 of this call-in collective. It's nothing but Daniel Norton. That's right. Bandits keep media empire. One show is not enough for him. He's got to take over other ones. No, not really. He just finally unburied himself from all of his chainmail hacks and everything and Decided to come up for air and get some new fresh ideas and listen to a whole bunch of podcasts. And then he calls in because he likes the conversation. And we love him for it as well. So here we are featuring him once again. And he's listened to a lot of the podcasts that I put out. Uh, Once again, XP out there. So I've got him in the order that he dropped them. Though I'm not so sure it's in the order that the episodes came out. And quite honestly, eh, I don't care. I'm just going to put them out in the order he put them out to me. So, Mr. Daniel Norton, take it away. Hey, well, Jeff, Daniel from Bettis Keep calling in about the XP for gold. Um, hmm. So, I'll start off by saying that I don't do it the way that you guys are talking about. Like, if you find a 500 gold piece gem and you sell it for 150 gold pieces, you still get 500 XP in my table. So, at my table, that would work. You trade the gem, you would you, know, you would have already got the XP for bringing the gem back to population. It's one of the ways I manage the economy, actually, so it's kind of done on purpose. But let's say I'm going your way. I think that based on the spirit of BX, like the fact that you don't get XP for magic items and stuff like that, that, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, you know, if you came to town with a 500 gold piece uh, gem and then you were to give it to a wizard to use as a spell component, and they then cast a spell for you or did some kind of beneficial thing for you, a scrying or whatever, then you would not get XP for it. So I guess the smart player might <laughs> go to town, sell the gems, get the XP, then give the gold to the wizard. I, I don't know. I mean, there's ways around it for sure. But yeah. All right. So, well, yeah, that's different. Okay. I, I see your viewpoint. I like that. And, you know, tell me how you do it at your table. So... It is what it is. They still get the 500 gold piece. You're managing the economy. I guess that's, you know, worthy effort there. Yeah, okay. I, I get it. I like that idea. And I don't think there's any, there's definitely no right or wrong here. It's just, you know, ways could we do it, you know? And that barter right there. But you know, you're not giving them XP if they haggle for some service. So, hmm. All right. Speaking of D&D, uh, what was that you were just saying now? So this is interesting. Jason is offering to run Dungeons & Dragons. Hmm. I wonder what edition he'll run. But uh, if you're trying to draw up interest for a high-level AD&D game, I would be interested. Although, I, well, it seems like you're not going to do play-by-post. I have never done a play-by-post game in my life. So that is very interesting. Huh. I don't know. I feel like a low-level game would be easier for play-by-post, no? But anyways, I have no idea because I've never done it. But in any case, uh, if a game forms, I would uh, definitely jump in. Oh, look at me putting Jason on the hook for high-level D&D. <laughs> uh, though he, he he has said that he would probably run that. But that's, that's a ways down the line there. Let, let him do some other stuff there. 
but that other comment, that's that's the part that surprised me. Never done a play-by-post and everything. You know, and that all of a sudden entices me. It's like, huh. Let's get Daniel into something here. Now, I will say, uh, in reference to your comment about low-level, high-level, things like that, uh, most of the games played by post are low-level. Is it easier? In my opinion, it is easier for people to lose interest. And it's easier to for the DM to lose interest because you've got a lot of cautious players, a lot of additional things, people taking a long time, oh, I don't know what I can do, and so forth. And uh, you know, a lot of those games die before they get too far. You know, real life also happens, etc. With high level, your characters are doing stuff. Now, this is where you have to be careful because let's say this is first edition, second edition, things like that, BX. You know, there's only so much you can do. If we were talking about some play by post, you know, D and D three, three point five, something like that, that I would. Surmise would be a little bit tougher because of the options. You definitely have a little more tacticalness in it. And it depends on how much the DM is going to put into it. But no, uh, in my experience, it really is no harder to run high level, medium level, or low level. It's no harder for any of those three. Um, You know, and I, one of the games that unfortunately uh, the DM uh, hit a, an area that he's just so busy with, he's got to drop the game again. He doesn't know if he's going to pick it back up again. Um, we were running basically mid-level. So we were starting off around 5th, 6th level, moving up into the domain area, domain play. And we had hirelings. We had henchmen. So we're playing to a degree, you know, the main character plus the henchman and everything. So it can get, you know, it can get fun. You know, a lot more action can happen there. Anyway, but yeah, that's uh, quite interesting, Daniel. Never been play by post. So you've got me, you got me thinking. And, uh, Jason, I know you're hearing this. Um, you and I are going to have to talk offline about this for a bit. Anyway. But, I shouldn't invoke Jason's name, because this is all, an all-Daniel Norton show. Let's, uh, go to his next point. I tend to agree with you about the, uh, the fainting and poking and stuff when you're fighting. And also, uh, why can't two claws and a bite mean that, uh, that they're swinging their claws multiple times, but there's only opportunity for two of them to possibly be telling blows. The same thing with the bite, right? So it's the exact same thing in my mind. As far as the healing, just to, as a since I've done it, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyborea gives you your hit die back every night when you rest. And what I found was when the characters got to like fifth level-ish, that, that just seemed like it wasn't enough in a lot of ways. So what I did was I do half your level 
in hit dice. So like they're six level now for the most part. So they roll three a night, which is pretty good. Uh, typically, you know, if, if they've had a ton of combat, then they can get back a decent amount. And if they've just had like a light combat, they usually get back to full, which is seems realistic in a sense to me. Cause I always look at hit points and as more like you're getting tired and stuff until you get down to the last few anyways. Oh, also the arrows. It's not that you're just think about it. If you're shooting arrows into a into a melee, it's not like you're just like shoot, 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 shoot. I mean, you're going to pull the bow. You're going to have to wait for that opening. I mean, think of like somebody with a gun. Like there's always that scene in a movie with a gun or a bow where, uh, actually, I just watched uh, Scorpion King and that happened. And he's trying to shoot the guy, but basically people keep getting in front. They're moving around. There's not really a clean shot. So and then finally he gets the clean shot and he fires. So I think that's kind of how I envision a bow as well. Now, I guess if there's, like, people charging at you and you've got, like, a lot of space and you can just flurry into them, that's something different. And maybe the GM could uh, adjudicate that if you wanted to try that. Um, anyways, and also in Ash, they have a thing for that. So, like, you can, like, set your arrows and get double the amount of shots per uh, round if, you're, if they're coming at you and you can actually set them and stuff. So, uh, there you go. Uh, little extra little rules there can make that a little, maybe more palatable for Jason, I guess. Well, yeah, that's uh, good information there. I did not know that information from Ash. And I kind of like the way you said do the hit points there because that really gives it a little bit more of that sword and sorcery feel, you know. So, yeah, I guess if you're going to monkey around with hit points, you know, you decide what it is, you know. And you're right, I think multiple chances of clawing and so forth because if we're saying around a combat round is six to ten seconds you know that probably is a couple chances of it getting through you know the feints and everything so you know that's however you want to adjudicate it and so forth and yeah i like that part about the arrows you know you set them somebody's charging you you should be able to fight shoot them especially straight off i mean if they're just coming straight at you there's nobody in between yeah uh, rapid fire all you want they're people in melee and, you know, you're trying to shoot somebody on the other side of the melee and so forth. And, you know, the dumb fighter gets in between you and your target or the rogue somehow sneaks around and like, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to hit him. Oh, wait a minute, it's just the rogue. Let's go ahead and shoot him. Uh, you know, you decide there, but yeah, good about that. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting this Menzner, uh Addition, right? I mean, they definitely changed it to make it maybe more friendly by doing the choose your own adventure thing at the beginning. And actually, TSR had a couple modules that had that, right? Like Palace of Silver Princess. You know, they added that style. So I think maybe that's just something they were working on at the time. And also, I think the reason why they did it, and I don't know, I mean, I haven't read any of these books, but it seems to me that if you read uh, BX, there was only going to be three box sets. And I think they decided they wanted more box sets in the if they were going to revamp that, then they might as well turn around and just revamp the whole thing. That's why a B and X are not that much different. Um, but what they did do is they changed, I think, some of the progression for Thieves and stuff like that so that it would actually work out to be um, 36 level. Because I believe I don't have the book in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that most of their Thieves skills are all the ways up to 100% by the time they reach 14 at the end of Expert. And I don't know where they are in, in Mensner, but i got to think that they thought that might be problematic for 36 levels. I wonder, too, if, like, uh, they they finally were starting to consider, you know, maybe once Mulvey was doing well or whatever, that, you know what, a basic, you know, as we call it, is, is is its own deal, right? Dungeons & Dragons is its own deal, and that's what they were pushing for. And then they realized, well, we're going to need as much content as possible for it, so we got to think this out. 
And maybe they weren't thinking that when they just switched from Holmes to uh, to uh, to Mulvey, right? They, they may not have been fully planning that, hey, this is its own game. It really is not a, like a stepping stone because Holmes was really designed as a stepping stone to OD&D, right? Which I guess by then they probably weren't selling the OD&D boxes anymore. So again, I don't really know, but it's, it's really interesting. Um, and I, I would imagine that, right, they probably had Menzner starting to work on uh, the the B almost immediately um, once they realized that, and of course he was part of the the original BX. I mean he's he's listed as one of the contributors on some like in that back thanks part. So you know it's not like he stepped in. And I guess I should also mention that I'm pretty sure that they came out with they've come out with multiple basic sets throughout the ages of D and D. And I think I mean I know in this case the rules themselves hadn't really changed much, but I think that um, you know it's like a new people like new stuff. You know, like you might buy your kid the basic set one year for Christmas and they play with it a little bit and then they kind of not, not that interested. So they put it away or they get rid of it. And then three or four years later, they're interested and they're not going to want to go back and pick up that old one because it feels old, right? So by constantly having uh, newly released, fresh, beautiful uh, boxes, I think that helps. Even Fifth Edition has done that with their starter set. They, had, they I mean, I think the starter set's still available, but they've also got like essential set and they've got a couple other versions of them. And I think that's really because people want new shiny basic sets, right? So I, I feel like they're always going to want to keep changing and improving. We'll use the word improving uh, them. I mean, personally, I don't think Menster was an improvement over Mulvey, but hey, that's me. Jason, I know, has said this, and I agree with him that Metzner improved how people could approach the game. Because I would say beforehand, you really had to have people that knew how to play that could lead you into this. With Metzner, now you could pick up and they, you know, choose your own venture style there, but you start going through that and you really get to learn by example. It's already laid out for you. So you get to understand some things and, you know, see how it works. And I think that's where it really, Messner makes it so much easier to approach the game for anybody. And that's what you're lacking. I mean, yeah, you've got the people that are going to show you how to play and everything like that, but what if you live in an area that nobody knows or you want to, you know, somebody doesn't have the time or they just happen to go into some store like back in the day, the Barnes and Nobles, the Walden books and so forth and go in there like, hey, what's this? You know, I mean, I, I think that's where that approach is there. And it probably was probably decided after Expert came out and they start seeing those numbers of Basic and Expert being sold, you know, because that's what it was. It was Dungeons & Dragons and that was going to be the gateway to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, whereas the uh, the other one, the Blue Book, was your gateway to OD&D and, well, they were already Advanced Dungeons & Dragons at that point. By the time that you start getting our basic and expert sets, you know. So, yeah. Good there. And, you know, they decided to have more box sets. I think it really was more of a... And I, 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 I'm conjecturing here. But, yeah, you're right. More box sets would be better. But I think he had a bigger vision 
on how to add more things in there and seeing also where advanced Ocean dragons had already gone how would they incorporate that sort of element into the regular Dungeons & Dragons game. You know, Deities and Demigods comes out. You've got all these gods and things like that. Well, wait a minute. How about making players become gods themselves? You know, and that could spawn the Immortal set as part of Vecme. So, I I, I think that's where, in, in my opinion, that's where I was going out there. Uh, the new Shiny, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is look at Old School Essentials Every time Gavin does a reprint, and the, in fact, he just did a reprint uh, for the third edition. No, I shouldn't say third edition. Uh, third revision of the book and cleaning up a couple things, adding in some clarifications that he had in there. But he put in brand new artwork. And it really is the third printing. I should say the third revision. Third printing all brand new artwork and things like that, and you want to talk about the insanity? I'm like, you know, I, I like my OSE, but dude, um, I already got the books. I don't need to be this collection completist, things like that. People think they're going to sell these things later on? Who do they think they are? Noble Knight Games? Ilja, Daniel Fernandez keep calling in about Magic Swords. So, yeah, I really like the idea of the plus zero, <laughs> I guess, magic sword. I've done things in similar, I guess, on some level where I've had, like, um, clerics usually or, you know, some kind of high priest bless a weapon of a, of a player character. And it makes it effectively useful against a creature that normally would only be hit by, let's say, a magic weapon. Uh, you know, but it's temporary usually and stuff like that for the quest. You know, that way you're not. This this I've done in 5th edition because, you know, you're not supposed to have too many magic items out there with the whole, like, having to uh, connect with them. I can't forget what they call it. But uh, so I did stuff like that to make things work so people weren't like, really like, well, I don't want to have the, you know, the the lycanthrope uh, killing sword because how often does that happen? So for that one quest, you, you do that. So I think that's a pretty good idea. And I love the idea of them not radiating magic or not being magic unless they're in a certain type of person's hands. That's a great idea. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, the whole attunement thing to cut down how many magic items you can have in five fifth edition. Um, you know, be very choosy. Cut down the arms race that you have there. You know, and this is why you need to have hirelings. You know, hand it off to them so that sword can still be useful to you. And I'm trying to remember, and I think. I think it's actually my 5e game that I play in. Uh, we had a pair of it was some magic item. And that, the thing of it was, it was from a module. And I don't know what module he pulled it from. It, I Actually, I think I do. I think it's actually an adventure out of a dungeon magazine. And it was written in the module or the uh, adventure itself that only if a certain type of character or something like that held it would it radiate magic and in fact it was it was a dagger yeah, it was a dagger and the thief had picked it up and everything oh I could use this and everything and we were going through some stuff and the thief had dropped the dagger or something like that so 
a magic user picked it up and lo and behold it started glowing so it's like all of a sudden it's like whoa hello what's going on here so yeah that was a pretty neat thing to have happen there just but that was the way it was written but yeah that's uh i, I like that idea there's jason i think mentioned about the uh plus five or uh, i was talking about you know there's some weapon out there that's like plus three normally, but if it gets into the hands of a dwarf, some Warhammer's like plus five or something like that. You know, I guess it's not totally new, but, you know, maybe they can unlock the power. So, yeah. Yeah. Please use that. Please use it. That would be pretty cool. You know, hopefully that makes it into your uh, game, your, your stream here soon in OD&D. Of course, you know, after you killed off the... The, the cleric and the halfling has now shown up. Uh, what happens there? <laughs> All right. You got some more to say. Let's hear it. So I guess I'm responding to Chase call and, and your, uh, your response to it. Yeah, I, I agree. There's got to be progression. And I think that in now like I've bounced through all different types of things. I've played different types of games. And I find that while some things seem very gamey, um, it's a game, you know, so that's why I've settled in that I'm fine with gold for XP. Like, I was running a Coriolis campaign, which was super fun, but the things you get XP for that, like helping your buddy or whatever, yeah, it, all it does is it's a game, right? So that means if you know you get XP for helping your buddy or doing this thing, you'll do it in the game. If you know that you're going to get XP for getting gold, you'll do it in the game. If you get XP for killing monsters, you'll do it in the game. So I think that if you're going to have any kind of a progression, which I think you, you really want to have in a game, the players are just going to do that thing anyways. So you just have to pick the thing that you want the progression to be based on. So that you get the players to do the thing you want them to do to enjoy the game, the way it was written. I'm talking about from a designer's standpoint, you know, for a while there, I thought that like milestones was the ideal, right? And you see a lot of people do like milestones and I think they work in some situations, but I often feel like milestones just becomes the referee, GM, DM, whatever, deciding when they think the players should level up. And that's usually based on the kinds of adventures they want to run for the players. Whereas if you do something like, you know, giving um, goals, like let's say gold or killing monsters or, you know, doing so many missions or whatever as your baseline, then the players can decide what they want to do. If, if, you're, if your XP is for exploring hexes and the players want to level up fast then they'll take more risks and go ahead and explore more hexes. If they don't care about leveling up, then they won't. <laughs> so I think that's kind of fun and interesting and, and makes the game more open-ended for the players, which I, I enjoy more than Milestones. So, yeah, I haven't found the perfect one yet, but I, I suppose at some point, maybe we will. Yeah, I think if you're going to change uh, the XP system, if you're going to add to the XP system, like, you know, the XP for exploring hexes, things like that, then, you know, that needs to be communicated with the players. And, you know, same thing with milestones, like you said there, you know, let them know what they get XP for and, you know, how often they would advance, etc. Um, you know, to me, milestone works best when players don't know the rules as effectively. And the reason why I say that is from my personal experience with 5e uh, in this game. We're The game that I'm in on Tuesday nights is Milestone XP. And the guy that's running it, it's not exactly his first time running, but 
it's his first 5e campaign. He's run other things before. And he, uh, you know, he's asked me occasionally uh, about some stuff. I'm like, look, you know, it's your game. You advance us as fast as you feel we need to be advanced. You know, it's just what doing. So there's two, there were two people, three people that were playing that they don't know the rules at all. So for them, you know, every time leveling up occurred, it was like, ooh, oh, wow, that's awesome, you know. Now, myself, I'm like, you know, whatever, whatever happens. But we got one other guy that does know the rules. Does it, you know, decent, not great, but he has read them everything. And lo and behold, he's the one, every so, you know, whenever there's a discussion like that, he's thinking, yeah, you think we should, you know, we should be leveling up soon, right? He's usually one of the very first ones, if not the first one to ask that. Now, again, that's just my personal experience, and that's maybe just the group that I'm in, and that's how they work. But, you know, when people see Milestone XP, and they know the rules, and they, you know, they start calculating out, like, should we be going ahead here? You know, that's where I think you have the problem. You know, but if that's a little bit behind the screen, maybe it's not as much of a problem. I don't know, that's just a bit of conjecture there. But thank you for your input there. Well, that's all Daniel had to say. He's now retreating to the safety of his OD&D hack. Check him out. In fact, I think you've... If I remember correctly, you said something about it's already out and people can start looking at the documents soon. So that's a pretty exciting thing. And anybody that does not know, the first Sunday of the month, he does a uh, live stream of OD&D. He's got three players. Uh, one of them you've heard before on his show, Nikki, And they're playing OD&D, running through the... Palace of the Silver Princess. If you have not watched his live stream, go do so. Go do so. Especially the fact that he's doing OD&D and you're getting to at least hear it live and see how it's working. And besides which, if you join in as part of the chat, you get to roll for the monsters and things like that. So, you know, the party's life is in the chat's hands. <laughs> ah, yes. So, you know, for all of us DMs that didn't get a chance to kill our parties, hey, let's go kill somebody else's party. <laughs> anyway, again, appreciate it, Daniel. Everybody, be safe, be good, and get out there and game. You know, if even if you have to put a mask on. Get out there and game. We'll see you again. Hey, quick programming note. Originally, I was going to list out when Daniel and his group were playing and streaming. But when I got to looking online, I did not see it. So I had to wait and contact Daniel. He's gotten back with them. So it is now up there. So if you go to twitch.tv, look up Adorama XP. A-D-O-R-A-M-A-X-P. And 
Daniel is streaming with them first Sunday every month starting at 7. So check him out. Thank you for calling Minions and Musings. We hope to hear from you again.